Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm your host, Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. Write less, but say more. That's what Jim Vandehei, founder and CEO of Axios, wants us all to do. And now he's co-authored a book, Smart Brevity, with Mike Allen and Roy Schwartz to tell us how to communicate clearly and effectively in a world where it seems increasingly difficult to be heard. Welcome to the show, Jim. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about the origin story and how the book came about. Yeah, when we started Axios five years ago, we were trying to think about what is the biggest problem that we thought needed to be solved for the news consumer. And what it was to us was there's way too much inefficiency in how news was delivered. That if you thought about this moment in time, we're all getting hit with more information from more directions with more velocity at any point in humanity. And we have less time, therefore, because we have all these distractions. And yet, we probably need to know more across more topics to be successful at work and in life, mm-hmm. right? Like me as a media leader or me sitting in D.C., it's not enough for me just to be really good at politics or understand media. I have to understand AI. I have to understand technology. I have to understand business and media consumption trends and what's happening in China. Well, that's a lot. And so we said, okay, how could we solve that problem for the the consumer? And we came up with this idea of smart brevity, which is hire really smart reporters covering really important topics, but then deliver the information as efficiently as humanly possible. Uh-huh. And you need the smart, you need the brevity. And what we did is we came up with this format, this idea of grab the reader by the lapel, tell them the most important new thing or the most important quote or the most important reason the story is being written, then give them the context, why it matters, which is a second graph of everything we write, and then give the reader the choice to go deeper. And this is how people want to consume. Like, how do I know it? I looked at the data from when we were at Politico. I looked at Facebook. I looked at data. I talked to people at the New York Times. In almost every case, most people are skimming and scanning. And at most, they're reading 100 or 200 words. So if that's the reality, then you make it the best 100 or 200 words you possibly can. So you at least have a chance for people to hear what you're saying and to retain what you're saying. Uh Yeah, I mean, I've heard you say that everyone needs to radically rethink how they communicate. And I, you know, I think this is, is part of it. And you say particularly in writing, which we do so much of, we think, you know, you think about it, and it's like, oh, people don't write letters, they don't write like they used to, but we write all day, there's so much written communication. So it's so important. So tell me about this radical change. I mean, it's it's in smart brevity, but what, what does it really mean in terms of, of how you need to think about it? So whether you're a teacher or you're a business leader, you're a manager, you're a journalist, what you have to do is you have to understand that people are distracted and you literally have maybe 20 seconds to grab them and pull them into whatever it is you're writing. And so that requires you, when you're either thinking about a headline or a subject line, grab the person. Use the short, shortest, smartest, most provocative way to make me want to open what you're sending. Uh-huh. And then be very clear, very succinct about the reason you're writing. Don't hide your insecurities in a vomit of words. Don't meander. Be direct. This yeah. is what's new. This is what's important. Then 
give them the why it matters. Give them context. People are busy. They want to know why you just shared that one piece of information in as few a words as possible. And then make anything beneath that stack the most important information first. If you have more than one idea, put it in bullets. The data is irrefutable. People remember things that are broken into bullets much better than they do if it's just a glob of text. And you do just those four simple steps, and there's probably 30 more in the book, you will see a magical difference in people interacting with your content. It seems so simple, but it requires a completely different mindset. And then it requires understanding how to be able to sharpen what you're saying, how to use words that actually matter. And then the big trick is writing like you speak. Mm -hmm. Like there's something about our species that when you get behind the keyboard, you suddenly stiffen up and you tighten your collar and you put on a tie (laughs) and you start to write like you're a poet or you write like you're a professor or you write in a voice of God. Nobody speaks that way. And why would anyone want to digest the written word that way? Mm -hmm. Talk to somebody. The thing I tell reporters, sit down and talk to somebody like you're grabbing a beer at a bar. You're going to talk in an excited, direct, enthusiastic, provocative and evocative way. Well, now you got me. And you're going to tell me why you're so excited about what you're saying. Mm -hmm. But if you think about the difference between that and how you write, that's the Grand Canyon, that gap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's funny because with so much written communication right now, sometimes, you know, you just got to pick up the phone. You got to talk to somebody when you're trying to get something done. And the line I've been saying is, you know, millions of years of evolution have allowed us to very quickly communicate with one another by speaking to one another. So let's let's cut out the, all this, you know, text back and forth. But I think if you can apply that to writing and try to think about it, as you're saying, how you would talk, it makes it, it makes a huge difference. I mean, another big takeaway from the book is that the mantra is really about audience first and thinking yep. about what your audience needs. So tell me what that means to you. And that's easier said than done sometimes. It sounds really simple, but how do you really it, understand what the it's audience not wants? That hard. Like it's so much of writing is selfish, right? It's either you want to show off on how smart you are or how complex and witty your idea is, mm-hmm. or It's selfish because you're hiding your insecurity, the fogginess of your own thinking in a pool of words. So if you switch it instead of like, I'm writing for this myself, but I'm writing for you. What do you need to know? How can I tell you what you need to know as quickly as possible so I'm not wasting your time? How do I give you the context to understand the importance of what I just told you? How do I give you the power to decide if you should keep reading or keep consuming or keep listening? And if you do, how do I make every minute worth your while? Remember that. Just think about your brain. How many things are hitting it right now? You probably are already bored by me and you're thinking about, can I check Tinder or can I check Facebook or can I check Snapchat? Like, Don't tell my wife about my Tinder. I don't think it personally. That's all of us. It's everybody. You're in competition with the world. You're in competition with all of these alerts, all of these buzzers, all of these beeps, all of these you got mail. And and so you have to understand that it's a war out there, a war for people's attention. And you Mm -hmm. can't use the same weapons you've been using because they're not effective. Mm -hmm. And this, it it doesn't matter where you are. I've watched it. We've created a software uh, called Axios HQ that helps people uh, gives them uh, uh, sort of a computer uh, guided way of writing much more effectively. And I've seen it have a magical effect for teachers 
for scientists, oh my God, they're the worst. Uh, the only people worse than scientists are people who work at trade associations or think tanks. Uh-huh. The only people worse than them are people running businesses who are trying to communicate to their employees and think an employee would go to an internet and read 800 words of blather uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to just tell me what's new. Why does it matter? Let me move mm-hmm. on with my day. Mm-hmm. And if, mm-hmm. if you change that mindset, People will engage with your content, they'll engage with you, and they'll remember. Like, why are you communicating in the first place? Why are you writing in the first place? You had something to tell me that was important. So hit me over the head with what's important. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You've mentioned this emotional component a couple of times, you know, hiding behind, you know, words. You know, what have you seen in using this process about how people can overcome that feeling? Because that, you know, that's a strong driver of how people are going to write. And maybe being so direct is just uncomfortable for people and they feel like it, you know, it's not them uh, or they're going to offend or whatever. How have you seen people overcome that? They have to make the decision they want to overcome it. Once you can, uh, almost anyone who's like read the book or worked for us or used HQ, within a week, you can see a dramatic difference. Uh, and you'll see almost every company who's used a product, their open rate's gone from 20 or 30 to 60 or 70 or 80. You'll, the, the, and, and people respond like, oh, I love this. It's so much easier uh, to consume. You, but you have to get over that hurdle. You have to say, I, I, Jim, am a terrible communicator. It's time for me to get better. And here's a way to get better. Here's a, here's a roadmap of paint by numbers and how to get better but then you have to do it. If you do it, it's not that difficult because it just forces you to sit down. If I'm thinking about you, not me, I'm gonna just, I'm not just gonna write. I'm gonna say, okay, what is the one thing I want to tell you? And then I would write that down. And then what yeah. I would tell someone is, okay, look at that. Is that the, could you do it in fewer words? Yeah. Could you use stronger words? Are you using, get rid of any of those stupid SAT words where you're trying to show off. It just mm-hmm. makes people wanna hit you. They don't mm-hmm. admire you. They literally wanna slap you. They hate it. Uh, <laughs> don't use acronyms. Don't speak in business speak speak yeah. like a human just uh-huh. like just that change alone you see it it's like why do some politicians do better than others because they're more authentic than the phony they're running against yeah like authenticity in a business setting in a school setting in a, in a work setting in a journalism setting it is such a difference maker yeah well let's talk about uh, the transition of using these skills in journalism to how they can apply at work in the book yeah. you talk about newsletters meetings presentation, everyday communication. Maybe we can break down that a little bit and think about. So let's start with updates. I think now with remote work, so much it used to be, you could have a conversation, you know, there were lots of different ways to communicate that now updates on Slack, update by email, whatever it is, is how you're reaching your audience. So talk a little bit about how business leaders should think about how to use newsletters and that kind of communication. For sure. Like, uh, I think I think smart brevity is more important in business than journalism, and I think it is profoundly important in journalism. Mm-hmm. If you run a business and you're not radically changing how you communicate, you're screwed. And they're dying for you to tell them in a very direct way, on a very regular basis, what are we doing, why are we doing it, yeah. and why does it matter? Yeah. And if you're not doing that, you're going to lose them. And if you're mm-hmm. not doing that, you're not going to be able to recruit them. And if you don't have the talent, you don't have the product. And I think that is going to be the biggest change you're going to see in the next five to 10 years in businesses. Communications is no longer going to be a backwater. It is going to be the right-hand person to the CEO. It's that important. Uh, Stuart Butterfield over at Slack uh, estimates that like your average employee 
probably spends half of their day communicating. A manager or a leader, 60 to 80% of their time communicating. And yet no one's teaching them how to do it better and more effectively and more efficiently. There's gonna be a revolution uh, in this space. So think about the emails you send or think about how do I update my staff? I run this entire company on HQ, meaning I write a newsletter in hierarchy, never more than the three minute read. Here are the five most important things happening at Axios in order. Each item tells you what's new and why it matters to the company and what I need from you. So in three to four minutes on a Sunday, everybody at my company knows exactly what we're doing, why we're doing it. So by the time we meet on Monday morning, we're not looking back. We're only moving forward. Everyone knows where things stand. And we do that with every single division. So you get alignment, you get productivity, you get a healthier culture, uh, and then you end up having a, a bigger profit as a result of that. And so I am convinced that this will be the most seismic change inside companies uh, that we have seen in 20 or 30 years. You know, and it seems that that communication process of simplifying actually has a, a big impact on thinking, which is it forces you to make those choices of what, what are the most important things. And, and so have you found that that's permeated the way people are operating generally in, in training your mind to be more yeah. efficient? How have you seen that in, the, in your business? For sure. Like it's, yeah. it, it's so effective that all of my, the emails I get even about personal things now from any of the 550 employees here is written in smart brevity. This is what's new. This is why it matters because it's just yeah. such an effective way. But yeah. you nailed it. It's simple. It's not that it's simplifying the writing. It's simplifying what's behind the writing, which yeah. is, listen, if you write in a foggy way, you probably had a foggy thought. Yeah. Right. Well, the, the opposite's true, too. If you write in a sharp, clear way, you had a sharp, clear thought. Well, what breaks through? If I give you a, a foggy mess, you're just going to be like, wow, man, that person just confused me. I don't want to talk to them anymore. But if I tell you something that's sharp and sort of electrifying, you're going to be, I want to have more conversations with that person. Whoa, they sent me a text. I'm going to open that. Uh -huh. Wow, they're having a meeting. I want to listen. Like that's uh -huh. going to be an effective, efficient use of my time. Like that's that transformative. I know you. Some people think, oh, communication's boring. That's all we do. Right. That's all the species <laughs> does is communicate. That's right. what that's what the basis, of the connective tissue of every company, every organization, big or small, in America is. And yet, very few people have adjusted to this new reality. Uh -huh. I was shocked when we did uh, HQ, which is the software. We went into companies like. Uh, BP and United Health Group and JP Morgan Chase and you know we, we work with Facebook we work with a lot of the biggest companies in the world and they're all struggling with this they all no one argues anymore they're like yes 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 we need more efficiency we need more hierarchy how can we do it and that's yeah. why we created the tool to help them do it but whether you use our tools read my book I don't care but like these principles are life changing they will mm -hmm. make you a better communicator and it's not you don't need to want to run for office to want to be a better communicator if you want to have success at the you know getting parents to do what you want at the pta or if you want to have success organizing people for uh sort of a blood drive or something you're doing in your community like the more effective you are at conveying what you're trying to convey the better the results you'll get yeah so tell me a little bit about the software you write in the software and it provides feedback saying, Hey, you can cut these words that you can say yep. this more clearly. It's a companion kind of piece. Yeah, is that how it, it works? Yeah. Think of it as like a very, very sophisticated, uh, Gramly, the, yeah. uh, Gramly that basically yeah. it helps you write either a newsletter or individual items in smart brevity. So it will replace your weak words with strong words. It'll tell yeah. you your headlines way too long. If you want anyone to read it, it will help shorten your leads. It will yeah. make sure you have an axiom, what we call an axiom, a why it matters, go 
deeper. So you give a guidepost of what's coming next to the reader. And it's all powered by AI based on all of the data we have from our newsroom, from all the editing over five years of hundreds of thousands of stories and basic, you know, like what headlines are effective, how long should your first sentence be, uh, when should something be broken into bullet points. And so it, it takes all of that and unleashes that for the individual writer. And so companies that use it, and, and we have school systems, the Austin school system uses it. We've got um, a ton of the Fortune 500 companies use it. We've got startups that use it. Uh, they use it to, uh, uh, to update their investors. Like anywhere where you're trying to communicate one to many, more efficiently. That's what Axios HQ was built for. And it's a fun story. Like it's creation. This is all true story. So we start a media company. We're having a lot of success. In a one month period, the NBA, the Basketball Association, JP Morgan Chase, United Health Group, I got calls from executives at all those companies. And they all said, listen, all of our, our executives are reading Axios, but they won't read a damn thing that we write. Can you teach us how to write? And I was like, huh? Like, that's not my job. Like, I'm a media guy. Yeah. And, uh, and But then the more I heard from more people, it was clear to me that the problem that the news consumer was having was even more profound inside of organizations. So we jumped inside those organizations, studied it, figured out, okay, how could we help them with what we've learned? And now I guess we've gone from being a media company to a media and communications company, mainly because there's just a big problem, maybe the biggest problem facing uh, business today that I think we have a really good solution for. And the reason I get passionate about it is I think the more efficient and effective we are in communicating what matters, whether it's news or what matters in the workforce, ultimately leads, I think, to better people, better productivity, better products, uh, and is better for the country. Like, I really, I really believe that. I believe communications is that powerful. It is powerful. And, you know, I wanted to ask about your journey as an entrepreneur, I mean, from Politico to Axios to now the HQ product, you know, now you're in the software business. So, I'm just curious, can you tell me a little bit about maybe the origin story with Politico and some of what you've learned in starting companies and and building teams and building organizations? I mean, the first thing I've learned is like, this is a great country. Everyone dogs it. But like, I'm telling you, like, if you met me at age 21, you would have said he's the last person who's ever going to start a company or cover a presidency. I had shit grades at a mediocre college. I was about to get kicked out. I drank too much. I was unhealthy. Like there just was nothing in my profile that would have suggested like, hey, man, this guy's going to be successful. But I got into journalism, which I fell in love with. I was a pretty good political writer, covered the presidency. And then in 2006, it was clear uh, as I was as being a journalist and covering covering the White House and kind of being in the mix in Washington, it was clear that newspapers were in a lot of trouble. The internet was taken off and it was clear people were going to move away from newspapers to the digital screen. And it was clear that that old line media companies weren't going to uh, make that pivot very easily. And so we said, hey, man, what, what, what? I remember the conversation actually because Google was buying YouTube at the time and I walked up to my colleague and I'd never thought of running anything. And I, and I posed a question to him. I said, hey, if Eric Schmidt came to you right now and said, how much would it cost me to take on the Washington Post political franchise? Mm-hmm. What, would that, what would that be? And I looked at my John Harris, my editor at the time. I said, the truth is not that much <laughs> because of the Internet and because of cable's insatiable appetite for content. We know there's like 12 reporters who actually break news on a regular basis. Let's pay them a bunch of money, put them in one place, yeah. only focus on politics 
and start a company. And we were lucky enough, dumb enough, whatever, to get so excited about that idea that from the moment we thought about that idea to launching Politico was about six months. Mm -hmm. Politico was live in, in January of 2007, and then it took off. And remember, I'm a journalist. The only thing I'd ever managed at that point was a night shift at Little Caesars in high school. <laughs> And so now we've got this rocket ship. It's taking off. We're hiring a bunch of people. We're going from 50 to 100 people. Three months in, we're co-moderating and co-sponsoring a presidential debate. We're on stage. Like, we got this little jalopy, and yet we're up here competing with the, with the, big, with the big players. Yeah. And it had to be run. I had to learn how to run a company. Mm -hmm. And I was terrible at it at the beginning. I had no idea what I was doing. I was all energy, all like go, go, go. And mm -hmm. I was driving people nuts. People were quitting. It was just too much. <laughs> I had to learn, okay, how do you create a culture? How do you hire the right type of people? How do you structure a company? And little by little, we got pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. And you know, that lasted 10 years. Politico just sold for a billion dollars. Uh, uh, about a year ago, it's a very successful company, arguably the most successful transaction of the of the digital era for for new media properties. We we I left there because uh, we wanted we didn't fully own the company. I wanted to own a company. I wanted to control the company. Mm -hmm. We started Axios five years ago, and we've had success uh, there. As I just explained, we started HQ, which is the software company. Uh, about, you know, started as a little baby about two years in, and we're about to split that off as a standalone company. And so, like, what a world. Like, that yeah. me, like, it can find all these awesome people, work with them, create these cool products in these fun spaces, do a cool podcast like this where you care enough to even ask me <laughs> about the companies that we're working on. Like, what a world. Well, I agree with that for sure. Well, the last thing I wanted to hit on is what you are doing with local news right now. I think we've all seen this, you know, decline in local news and big changes there. And there's been lots of efforts to fix that and work on it. I know that you're working on that right now. Tell me about what's happening in the local news space. Yeah, we're in about, we'll be in 30 cities. We're 25 now. We'll be in 30 by the end of the year, hopefully 55 by the end of next year. And the idea is, I think everyone thinks local news is dead. It can't be revived we just disagree like whenever we tend to like whenever everybody in the media thinks one thing we tend to go the opposite way so everyone oh media local media is dead it's impossible to monetize i don't think that's true if you actually look at population it's moving out of the big cities into the next hundred cities you're seeing that in population growth and rising mm -hmm. housing prices mm -hmm. the need for high-end content for content that people can trust about what's happening locally with business technology you know what what to, where to go where to eat you know what what's cool in our in our city it's yeah. as high as ever. Yeah. Well, the beauty now is like you don't need a newspaper. That's expensive. You don't need people to deliver a newspaper. That's expensive. You don't need a building. People can work from home now. So you just took away your three big ex expenses. You can put the money into journalism. So we're going into these cities and we're planting a flag with a daily newspaper written by two or three or a daily newsletter with uh, two or three of the smartest reporters in that city. Mm -hmm. As we grow the subscriptions and the revenue, we add more reporters. And we think it's a formula that is very scalable. We think it is one that's durable and that it can revive local news, which I think is really important. And we're not doing it. This isn't some mercy mission. We're not doing it out of the goodness of our heart. We think it could be a, a tremendous uh, business that also happens to do something that I think is really important. Yeah, I think what you're saying in politics right now is how important you know, all politics is local. Well, it's really true when you look at what's happening in school yeah. boards and, you know, across the country. So what's the perspective, you know, is that this is a hard news approach, you know, sort of, you know, objective. I'm just curious about how you handle some of these 
challenging issues in these local yeah. cities. We, I mean, we do a couple of things. One, we have no opinion page and never will. Yeah. We ask our reporters to cover things clinically and to stay off of Twitter and other social or public platforms with their opinion because we want to try to get the trust of as many readers as humanly possible. And then we cover the things that we think matter. And we do it, you know, breaking news and, and providing really smart analysis based on expertise around the things that you would care about if you lived in a city. You care about crime. You care about housing prices. You care about education. You care about the business uh, economy uh, in your area. And those are the things that we, we, we try to run after. And I think that approach resonates with people. I think the efficiency fits into their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I'm very bullish. Uh, and it's why we're going to get into 55 cities next year, very bullish on, on the possibilities of, of what this can do. And then, by the way, from a national perspective, we'll have more boots on the ground maybe than any other publication in the right. country and where people are and where things matter. So I think we'll have a much better uh, you know, thumb on the pulse of of what's happening in this country. And there's a lot of different things. And I think the national media often gets it wrong because we have a Washington or New York centric view of the world. And these are nice places to live, but they're, they're not America. They're, right. they're just places in America. Right. Well, it should be an interesting uh, couple of years coming up uh, in the news business for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, looping back to Smart Brevity, any final words of advice for folks about how they can use smart brevity, how they should think about this. And of course, I encourage everybody, I got an early copy of the book and got to check it out. There's great stuff in there, great exercises, and it really teaches you how to do it. But any any final advice on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think if you're in any position where you communicate one to many, it, it, it's just a game changer. And like whether you end up reading the book or, or, or being an Axios reader or, or buying HQ, like obviously I'd love all of that. But more importantly, I just think it could be transformational. Like we, we don't have many years on this earth and you might as well be as effective as you possibly can and do as much as you possibly can. I think this is like a, a, a weapon for being able to do it. Great. Okay, Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. Very interesting conversation. I appreciate it. That was Jim Vandehei, founder and CEO of Axios and co-author of Smart Brevity. Check out his new book that hits the shelves later this month. Blazing Trails is a production of Salesforce Studios, produced by Rachel Levin and Courtney Eltinge, and engineered by Ryan Kleeman and Michelle Luong. I'm Michael Rebo. Thanks for listening.